Hi Chris, how are you? Good afternoon, Rod. Here we are. Episode 99. Seems like a good number, doesn't it? It does. We're on the verge of something massive on 99, I'm sure. Yeah, on the verge of Christmas for 2023. Yeah, very, very much so. I guess we should do an end of year show. I mean, this is our Christmas show. It's not going to be very Christmassy. We kind of did that last week, but uh, we'll have to do an end of year one. Maybe a wrap up next week. Yeah, maybe a year in review and a year coming up. That's quite a good thing to do, isn't it? I think I've done a few things this year, which we're going to talk about in follow-up that I didn't think I would be playing with. And then it'd be good to see maybe what our aspirations are for the following year. Yeah, I think that's good. And maybe an app of the year and a thing of the year. We don't think we did that last year because we didn't have enough history at that point. But we've done quite a lot now. Yeah, no, that's true. I I can get get behind that. So, all right, well, let's do that next week. Cool, brilliant. Okay, so let's kick straight off in follow-up. And I think... We talked a little bit about Beeper last week and the toings and froings and Apple stopped. Well, I don't know if Apple had stopped them at that point, but certainly it was a live thing and then Apple stopped them and then they got it working again and then Apple stopped them again. And it's been a whole rigmarole. But out of that has come this little thing that I've linked to in the show notes where we know they've been facing a lot of antitrust stuff, Both, and we're going to talk about some today, both in the EU and, and in America about this. And seems like one of the senators in America has put a post on X, of course, unfortunately, where she said, green bubble texts are less secure, so why would Apple block a new app allowing Android users to chat with iPhone users on iMessage? Big tech executives are protecting profits by squashing competitors. Chatting between different platforms should be easy and secure. So when you've got somebody at Senate level looking at this kind of thing, that's got to be a bit of a worry for, uh, for Apple. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the Beeper thing has, I think, become a bit of whack-a-mole between Apple and, and Beeper Mini because you need a Mac to use it at the moment, which is where they've ended up with it. And I'm amazed Beeper Mini have carried on. But in a way, it's got to be good for Apple because surely that's all the work Beeper Mini are doing is making iMessage more secure. But now the Senator got involved, it has got to be a concern, surely, for them that actually this could end badly for them because they're going to want it opened up I am surprised they haven't done it on Android, just, you know, a proper Apple first-party app, because they're starting to do it with other apps. Why wouldn't they do it with iMessage? They've lost the battle a bit with, what's the one you, you WhatsApp, one, the one I don't use, but the rest, literally the rest of the world does. I would love it if iMessage was an Android. I've got a few Android mates. I would love them to have an Android, you know, to use the iMessage app. Whether they would install it is another question, but surely it would be good though for families. Maybe they're not techie and there isn't that Apple trust issue or not wanting to use Apple products and actually, you know, family members could use it. So I'd love to see Apple do it and just conquer it. And I think a lot of what we talk about with Apple, like we're doing the RCS piece, we're doing iMessage, they should just do the first party apps. They should just do it themselves before they're pressured into doing it. And I think that's probably our feedback and our theme for Apple this year is you need to own your decisions and you should be doing these things so that you're not dragged through the courts and what have you. Um, and, you know, having to go through all the legislative changes, you should just be already doing it. So uh, that would be my piece. But no, this can't be good if, yeah, Senate are looking into it now because that usually ends badly because they're not technical enough. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some really bad law passed this year. Not unusually, there's lots of really bad laws about tech passed all the time. But this, when they're beginning to pay attention, and in light of the EU saying all these messaging apps must interoperate as well, although I think Apple kind of got out of that one for a little bit by saying they're not such a big platform. It's probably not long for this world before they are a part of that. And 
you know, as you say, they should get out in front of this really and just take ownership. But I can see why it's such a point of differentiation from them, but only in America. And I know America's a fair chunk of their market, but the rest of the world has moved on. They don't care that much about iMessage. Maybe you release it everywhere else except America to sort of pacify people. I don't know what the answer is here. I mean, there was a bit of pushback, I, I know, from Apple uh, and, and some of the, the commentators and like us effectively pundits i heard marco going on about the fact that you know allowing beeper in to do this is making your services less secure it's you know you're you're hiving off the back of apple's servers and services and all the rest of it that's not ideal and i have a certain amount of sympathy for that but at the same time i think this is slightly overblown for for apple's security side of it unsurprisingly they're going to push back on this but uh, it is interesting how much furore this has kicked up yeah, yeah, it has kicked up a lot. And like I say, I'm amazed that Beeper has carried on. Maybe if it was just a, the first attempt that Beeper did and then Apple closed it down and nothing else happened, we'd be in a different place. But because I think there's been a constant burble of noise, it's carried on and, like you say, it's gained more, more attention. Yeah, do you think if they hadn't commercialized it, do you think if it just appeared in the App Store and maybe the student found it in the first place and it just sort of rumbled away in the background, they wouldn't have pushed back so hard on it? No, I think they would have done ultimately, but the commercialization hasn't helped and the constant whack-a-mole. I think those those few things combined has made it problematic. Yeah. Moving on, a little bit of follow-up specifically for me. And we said before that McLaren had picked up Van Moof when they went into bankruptcy. And a little bit of news that just dropped before the show, actually, is that they have a new duo, really. Elliot Wertheimer and Nick Fry, who have a symbiotic relationship, as described by the uh, by The Verge are just what the next generation of the company is going to be. They want to support the 200,000 users of Anmove bicycles. You know, they, they want to keep the company going. They've got a strong desire. They're going to release new products. I'm really happy about this. Yeah, so I saw this article and popped it in there because I thought we haven't really circled back to your bike purchase. Probably if you'd uh, spoken a year ago where you were looking forward to your bike landing, it landed. And then, I don't know, three months later, Vanmoof was in financial difficulties. They've gone bankrupt. They then got acquired by uh, McLaren. Uh, McLaren applied, sorry, a, a subsection of McLaren. Um, and then obviously now they've announced what the future is going to look like. And I think it does look like they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to, you know, keep everybody that's already invested happy and also release some new models. The Vanmoof V, there's a picture in the uh, Verge article. That looks kind of cool, a bit chunky, but looks kind of cool. Um, and I was reading it and I was looking at this Nick Fry character. So I recognize him and I've actually looked him up. He used to be CEO at Braun GP. And if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, I watched the thing with Keanu Reeves. It was all about Braun GP. He was a big prominent figure in it. And he used to be at Mercedes and obviously he's now at McLaren. So no, I, th I thought it was interesting. And this has got to be good for you because if ever you need to buy spares or do anything with your bike, if you'll be able to do that now because you can't just go and buy standard bike pieces. So it's good. It's obviously taken them some time to sort it out, but it does feel like the right noises uh, are being made. Yeah, I'm really pleased about it, i got to say. And like you say, parts were a bit of a worry for me. In my head, I'd almost written off that if something serious, the motor went or something like that, then I was just going to be knackered uh, immediately. But it looks like there may be a bit of hope here. Things like brake discs and uh, you know chains and stuff like that, obviously you could replace it with off-the-shelf off the parts, but more fundamental parts. And the really fundamental part for me was always the server and the authentication side of things. So, and those people who bought the bikes, who bought the extended warranty that Van Moof said, we'll just replace your bike if it's actually stolen and we can't locate it. They must have been sweating billets. Yeah, because it is quite an investment up front, which should pay off. But no, I, th I think fair play. I'm really impressed. That's how you buy a company and hopefully you do the right thing. 
and you invest in it and you keep the brand alive. Ironically, I did think of you the other day because I walked, saw a cowboy bike and I've never seen a cowboy bike before. And they were in the running to buy Vamoof, if I remember correctly. So it was interesting just because I hadn't seen one. It looked very Vamoof-esque, I must say. Um, so I'm not sure what they would have got from buying Vamoof other than maybe the customer base and, and another brand. But uh, it's good news. Anyway, it's nice to have a good news story. It is nice to have a good news story. Have you got a good news story about what you've been doing with Synology? Yeah, so I've been playing with my Synology. We've talked about it a bit on the show and I kind of shunned it earlier in the year and got rid of it. And I thought, oh, I'm going to use my Mac Mini with a hard drive to do my backups. And actually, I've just fired up the Synology just this week and I thought I'm going to wipe it because I hadn't used it and I, I knew I didn't need any of the data on it. I'd already sorted all that. So I fired it up. I've, I've reinstalled it. Done everything from refresh, reconfigured all the disks in it, and and it popped up and goes, "Your Synology is only running at 100 meg," and then I, my head was like, "Ding! I wonder if that's why it's always so slow whenever I use it to do a backup." So popped in, swapped out the Ethernet cable for a different one, instantly worked at a gigabit. You know, got the right like coloured light on the switch, and off I go. So weirdly, I've taken a 180 on my Synology stance because I didn't think I was going to use it, but actually, I do prefer having the NAS to having the Mac with the hard drive on it because it's just not as nice of an experience. So I've got it all set up. I've got to do all the first backups again. I'll try it off. And I must confess, we've barely used Time Machine in our house. We have everything back up to it, but we've never really had to re restore anything. And I know the one time I don't have the Macs backing up, it will be a problem. So that was what I was going to say on Synology. So I, my Synology from 2013, so 10 years old, is still going strong. I will need to get a new one at some point and I will keep my eye out. It did highlight that when I reset the volumes that the drives I was using went Synology blessed to drives, which I believe is a new thing. But I've carried on anyway, because for all I need, it is literally just a worst case backup for me and my wife. But anyway, it's up and running. And I also wanted a bit of scratch space just because the next piece of follow-up is about Raspberry Pis. And I just wanted something on the network where I could just drag files if I wanted to. So yeah, I've got all that set up. And you know what? Synology is surprisingly easy. There's something that doesn't really want to noodle around in it too much just to, you know, set me all up, just take all the defaults and away you go. It was really good. So yeah, I'm quite impressed with it. Yeah, they give you a lot out of the box and they support them for a very long time as well. I mean, to be able to download the latest security patches and something for, for a device that's, as you say, 10 years old at this point is really impressive and it won't support everything. It's a super old chip in it at this point. And I don't, I'd be very surprised if you got much, very fast speeds. You're going to get a reasonable network connection speed, but you are transferring data over a gigabit connection to something that's got a very slow chip to presumably not enterprise level drives i bet they're you know 5400 rpm or something like that that's in there or, or around that sort of speeds i'd be surprised if you had sort of 7200 even and with no cache on those old drives as well it's no good it's not going to be a ball of fire for you but i agree just as a nice place that's got a bit of a raid on it raid is not a backup people but it does give you a bit of redundancy as it says in the name it's a good thing they're great devices and they do just keep running and the nice thing about them even something that old, is you can stick it in a corner. If you get a new Synology or another NAS at some point, you can back up your NAS to that, or at least have another copy of your data onto that too. So it's not going to go to waste to sit in there. It'll just take longer to back it up. Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts. I thought, I'll fire it back up. I'll start using it, see how I get on with it. And then if I use it a lot more or struggle with the performance of it, I can invest. But I think just swash, switching out the network cable and giving me 10 times network improvement will probably do all I need in the short term. I don't really want to go and buy another Synology just yet. I'd rather pick something up in a in a sale. I, I did have a cursory glance in November, but there just wasn't anything really in the sale 
you know, for Black Friday. So, so I'll wait and see. I'm in no rush. But I, I was impressed with just how easy it was to wipe, reconfigure, get up and running. And like I say, let's see how much we use it in the house. I'm thinking we should have a mean sure about NASAs at some point because now I've built one myself and I've got a Synology. I've kind of got both both worlds in my head at the moment. And in the next section, you're going to talk about your Raspberry Pi and I've given a couple of suggestions too, which is all good because it might make our main show shorter. But the company that makes one of the suggestions is about to release a, a NAS you can build yourself or they've done the hard bits. You can install whatever software you want onto it yourself and stuff like that's quite interesting, I've got to say, but maybe for another day. Yeah, I guess it just a depends on how techy you want to get with things and i think i'm starting to get back into it a little bit which probably leads us into the raspberry pi so my son i think we spoke about it he had a raspberry pi advent calendar and it's fantastic it's from a company called the pie hat here in the uk it's, it's about 40 pounds but you can um you get it and day one you get a little what they call a pico board very simple board and you, you plug into your computer and it shows you how to put some code on it and then throughout throughout advent you then get various lights and switches and various other pieces and we were just playing with it at the weekend with, with him and, and some friends um and I, you know we we followed the tutorial had it all plugged up and we had you know a series of lights come on on, on like a little led strip i mean if i was 12 years old like my son and i had that that would have blown my mind but we, we set all the lights come on white and then we set them i then did it so they got chased by a red light and then we had them all go green at the end and we were just playing with things i was trying to explain to them you know, how you could take a, an example piece of code and modify it and just get them into a bit of coding. And they really enjoyed it. And it's kind of got me wanting to do a little bit. So I'm, I'm flirting with the idea of getting myself a little Raspberry Pi because I want to do a bit of assembly programming. But just playing with a bit of code and a bit of hardware and just seeing lights come on. And we had an LCD screen on it. We've got a temperature sensor. So I'm impressed with how much you get for £40 of just little bits you can play with and tinker with and like i say there's infinite things you can do with it with the coding but what a great way to start you know it's great for children to get into understanding how computers work how to program and python to be fair very accessible language yeah i'm quite impressed with python i use quite a lot of python at work you can do a lot with it you can start very small you can learn with it and then you can really do some quite advanced stuff and you know the other end of this when you're into machine learning and things most of the big machine learning packages are written for Python, TensorFlow, Keras, things like that. So it's a super accessible language. You can do all sorts of data stuff with it. Not so great for graphics and game programming and things like that. It's not high performance enough for, for a lot of that kind of stuff. But it's a great, very accessible language and far better to learn something like that than Scratch or Swift or something when you're starting out. Yeah, agreed. And obviously Python's coming to Excel if it hasn't already. We talked about that earlier in the year, didn't we? But no, great language. And I was trying to explain to my my son and his friend that you know you once you've learned how to do if statements and this and that you know and case statements you can kind of apply that to other languages there's just like nuances with how you do it but once you get the basics it's transferable skills yep loop is a loop good nice good bit of follow-up we we, we're gonna do our summer follow-up but we've done it now in in winter anyway so that's okay i've also popped in the show uh, show notes uh, we, we were talking about single board computers and there's two like a Raspberry Pi. Well, one is called the Zima board. So the link there uh, to the Zima board, which is a slightly more advanced Raspberry Pi, really. Uh, I think it's an Intel variant chip, not a, an ARM-based one. So you can actually run Windows on the thing if you were bloody-minded enough to do so. But it gives you a bit more functionality than the Raspberry Pi 4, certainly, because it gives you a, bit, a few more sockets and things. So that's just for interest. And then at the other end of the scale, if you do want to get into spilt, start, start and specify your own home servers and home lab and all the rest of it, I just think this is an amazing deal. It's by a Chinese company called B-Link, and it's called the SER5. 
And what it is, is a little AMD Ryzen computer that's, I don't know, probably about the size of, you know, your Apple trackpad or something like that. A little bit thicker, obviously. Gigabit network, USB-C, two USB-3 ports on it, dual Ethernet, dual HDMI on the back of it, so you can power two screens. But what it gives you is a six-core, 12-thread computer. So you can actually run a VM server on the thing quite efficiently. It comes with a decent amount of RAM, 8 16 gigs, depending on what you specify. You can specify 32 gigs if you want to, but you know I think that's probably a bit unnecessary. But the nice thing about it is, is it all come with 512 gig um, NVMe M2 uh, SSD in it, but it's got a slot in the top to put in another two and a half inch SATA drive. So you can pop a two terabyte SSD in there, which will cost you buttons these days. And that little box is actually a decent server to start with. And for 305 quid, that's not a terrible computer to get started with. Bang Linux on that, bang, bang Proxmox on it. You could do quite a lot with that. Yeah, it's a lot of computer for a relatively small amount of money, isn't it? It's it's amazing what you can get these days, I think, to get you up and running. And you think a comparable Mac Mini, 650 quid. This is going to be a little less power efficient than that, maybe, but not a, a million miles away. If you buy an older computer like a, an i7 from five or six generations ago, that thing is going to suck power, not set power. So something like this is worth thinking about if you do want to get into tinkering with home services. Yeah, let's have a conversation in a year once I've got through my Raspberry Pi and my Synology. Fair enough. Shall we do some news? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So first story, and this is a bit, I find this a bit bizarre really. So the headline from Ars Technica is Google's Android App Store monopoly violates antitrust law. So this is Google's fight against Epic. And Epic have won. They won absolutely everything. There will be an appeal, as there always is. So this isn't the end of this. But this is Epic saying they didn't want to pay Google's tax to, to have their currency bought in, in inside of the Android store, the Play Store, etc., etc. And the court has ruled in their favour. How is this so different to the Apple result? I don't understand. Yeah, it's all a bit weird at the moment, isn't it? I think this. I was thinking now before we started, we should change our our podcast be called the antitrust podcast or something because it seems to be a, a key theme that we've been discussing what for the last 12 months or so yeah i mean it, i really do find this quite odd because we said at the time that google allows also other app stores to run in on android so you, you know a chinese app store can set up their own front end that's quite a lot quite a lot the chinese manufacturers do i think i'm pretty sure epic tried to do this as well but the problem is Unless you're a tech-savvy user, nobody else goes and does it. So what you want to do is have that fair competition with the dominant store. And from my point of view, that if you have the technical know-how to do it honestly with security, etc., 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 and run the servers and all the rest of it, then there I have no issue with other people doing this. You know, as we've said a million times on on iOS, if you tick five boxes and get to the bottom and says your phone might blow up if you install this alternative app store. Crack on if you're happy enough to do so. And that's all Epic seem to want to do is a level playing field to get access to people's wallets, but also their eyeballs. And this is a massive win in their favor. Yeah, agreed. It, yeah. It is a big win in their favor. And it, it didn't take them very long. The jury unanimously answered yes to all 11 questions. And it only took them a couple of hours of deliberation. So interesting how quickly this has turned around. Yeah, it is interesting, and it will be worth watching. We'll we'll have to see how this goes, really, because i got to think, with a win like this, the scope for them to go back and revisit the Apple side of the fence. Yeah, it does feel um, like there's a lot coming Apple's way. It feels like they're gearing up for it. There was talk in some of the iOS beaters this year that they were getting ready to run alternative app stores 
potentially only in Europe or in the EU, should I say. So it's going to be interesting to just see how it unfolds. And I don't think we know the answer yet, but maybe a year from now we're, we will be in a different place. Possibly. Moving on, uh, we've got to talk about AI again. AI-type stuff keeps appearing in our in our news feed, but it's not a surprise given the way the world is at the moment. Um, this appeared on my social media feed, I'd say, on Monday. Uh, there was a little scare with Dropbox. Do you still use Dropbox? Did you ever use Dropbox? Yeah, I used Dropbox quite a bit, but I was never heavily reliant upon Dropbox. I used to use it a lot when I, I ran my own agency building websites for people, and it was a great way of exchanging you know, images and, and designs with other people. And pretty much everybody was on Dropbox back then. But actually, I was never that embedded with it. And I, in essence, came off it a long, long time ago when iCloud got pretty good. Because I do use iCloud for everything, I'll be honest. Because I don't rely on iCloud business-wise. I know some people have some concerns with it syncing your Mac. I use it all the time. My wife uses it. It hasn't really caused me any issues. But I am nowhere near the world's biggest user of iCloud desktop syncing and documents. But for me, it works just fine. I was a big fan of Dropbox back in the day, but my memory is they started charging in quite a serious way and they changed the functionality of the app. It became a little less reliable than it had been, but it was great. It was exactly what I wanted. You put a file there, it synced everywhere. You could get it instantly. You could share those files with it, with everybody else. You could do incremental recovery of things, keep these ones on my computer, but not these ones if you were limited on space, which we all were in the days of the early SSDs. It was a really good service, and it's, it gradually got worse. They added office bits to it, this, that, and the other thing. Anyway, there's lots of people still rely on it. And what happened was a feature appeared, a new enable by default Dropbox setting that shared Dropbox data with OpenAI, that company we've come to know and love, or maybe love, and it's for an experimental-based AI-powered feature that would share that data. So, you know, the, the, where that data was going was unclear. So there lots of people saying immediately, go into Dropbox and flick this off. Dropbox have come out and reassured everybody that, you know, they're not doing anything particularly damaging with this. It's more of sort of a metadata sharing type thing. But stuff like this makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a concern, isn't it? Imagine if Apple started going, yeah, we're just going to share everything with OpenAI. You'd hope they wouldn't, but you never know. They, they might need a check to replace the Google search engine check at some point. It doesn't seem right. I, I, I'm curious to know what Dropbox world looks like because I see it used a lot less than what I once did. Admittedly, back in the day, I think we used it on the free version. And a lot of people did pay. It was how they got you in. They gave you enough stories to, I guess, get you in. And then once you were fully in, you would then commit to paying. And then it is hard to leave something like that. It um, is. But, you know, it's a concern that this this even became a thing even if it's not right what made people think that all this day is going to open ai what is dropboxes and open ai's view you know what what are they doing together it's a bit of an odd relationship yeah and there's there's a linked register article as well about an artist who's really worried about this kind of thing if you keep all your drawings there and they're using your art as part of the training data set that may appear at some point so i don't like that and i agree with the register's view on this that is the inconsistency? Is it opt-in, opt-out? Why did some users get in, opted in automatically? Why did some users have to opt-out? These companies, and we had the scare with Zoom earlier in the year as well, need to be more explicit about what it is they're doing with people's data, why these things are appearing, how what money is changing hands with OpenAI and them to, to enable these settings in the first place. What's in it for Dropbox? What's in it for OpenAI? It's all a bit obscured to me. I don't like it very much. Yeah, it's not... It's not... It's not uh, transparent. That's the word I'm looking for. I think they need to do more there to be more transparent so that there isn't any confusion. There shouldn't be confusion with where your data is going and what it's being used for. 
Yeah, particularly. And there has been a couple of stories this week about exactly that. People's art showing up as part of generated training, you know, models when they ask Dali for it. So that's pretty unacceptable. And I think courts will find against that, pretty sure. This is all unproven ground. It's legally untested, a lot of it. There's a lot of harm still to come from this, I think. Yeah, I think we're, we're in a strange place at the moment, aren't we? We are. Let's move on. And are you a happy Apple News Plus user? You must be because you're getting a couple of new things. I do like Apple News. I use the app quite a lot, actually. I did just this week install the BBC News app just to see am I missing anything because I do go to the BBC website infrequently. I thought I'd put the app on. I saw my wife. She just thought, oh, the app looks quite nice. But actually, I quite like Apple News because I just see a range of stories from everywhere. I quite like the way it aggregates all the news together. So I do like Apple News. I knew the Athletic had come to Apple News Plus because when I opened the app, it said, we now have the Athletic. When I scrolled my newsfeed, it then said, we have the Athletic. I've seen it in the tech news. They really pushed this one hard. Interesting, because I haven't seen any new, I don't believe any new magazines, newspapers come to Apple News Plus. So they are pushing this one quite hard. And interesting, we're going to get the wire cutter as well soon. So the Guardian came. That was quite a big story about six months ago. Now I pay for the Guardian app separately, and it is my first choice of news in the morning as I get it, but you can now get the Guardian inside of Apple News Plus as well, which is fair enough, and, and I think it should be there should be fair, equitable journalism available to all, and if you get it via this way, that's fine. I also had The Athletic shoved in my face when I opened the Apple News app this morning looking at this. I'm deeply uninterested in The, the Athletic because it's all American sports, and it was encouraging me to go off and do this, that, and the other thing, but I have no interest in MLB. Well, I have a slight interest in MLB, but absolutely not in NFL. National Hockey League, league or basketball. So, what use is this to me in the UK? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And they were really, like, really pushing it. Um, sorry, I was putting a confused face because you said the Guardian, and I went off to have a look. You do get the Guardian in Apple News, but you don't get the newspaper. Well, well, you get you it. Get this news feed. Mm, you, you get it. You get it the same way as. No, you don't. You get it the same way as the Sunday Times or anything else like that. It's not like a virtual newspaper, but you would get stories that would be behind. The Guardian don't have a paywall, but behind their ad blocker. So it's embedded in the same way that other news sources are embedded. It's not like Linux format or something that you might get. Yeah, you're right. But when you first said it, I thought you meant it came under News Plus. as Like you can get the car magazines and the photography and the film mags. I thought it meant like that. But actually, you're right. It's just another feed, which is good. Don't get me wrong. The bit I miss is the virtual newspaper. I used to really like a virtual newspaper. I found the FT did it really well. But they charge exorbitant amount of money for it, which is a shame because I really like their writing. Uh, but it's just a lot of money. But no, it is good they're adding some more sources, but I think they've tried to push it too hard. And Apple are the victim of their own their own advertising. I'm not sure what the right word is. They, they force advertising on us more than that, what they would allow third parties to do. Which and just annoyed me a little bit, especially in the UK because it's not a, it's not a local paper to us or magazine. Yeah, and the wire cutters the same. It's lar- I mean, products these days are largely international, but you do get American variants of products, and that's what they review on the wire cutter. And I believe since it's been taken over since the New York Times, it's not the site it was anyway. I used to quite often look at the wire cutter for things, so that's not great. I think Apple News Plus is twelve ninety nine if you were to buy it separately, and that is not worth the money. <laughs> I'd agree with you there. I like Apple News Plus a little bit just to dip in and out of, but I think they need to do a better job of how they present it, especially on the iPad, which is what it should be made for. But it is a lot of money. If you don't have it in the bundle, I only enjoy it because it's in the bundle. Yeah, fair enough. Moving on, 
where there's a story just came out. We talked about it earlier about um, Broadcom buying VMware and what would happen with that. And it was a huge company, and it seemed surprising to us because VMware were still well known. And yeah, Broadcom made chips and all the rest of it. Anyway, uh, Broadcom are getting rid of all the commercial side of VMware's products, which I think is a bit of a shame but i can understand why and in, at the same time they're ending perpetual license shares for those big companies that did it so it's sort of two stories from broadcom vmware have you got any thoughts about these stories yeah so i've obviously been through a few acquisitions in my life you can see they've obviously there's one thing they really want and that's probably what they've made their business case on is we want that and then they're obviously going to shed the bits that they're not interested in which obviously they're more consumer-based products interesting how quickly they're doing it but obviously if they've got a plan and the perpetual license piece I'm not that surprised a lot of corporate licensing is going that way because they want you to be cloud licensed they want you to continually upgrade so i'm not surprised and vmware perhaps are a little bit behind the curve with how they've you know pushed their licensing on maybe yeah i think we talked about this at the time i don't think there's any money in paid for virtual machines these days there's so many good things in the open source world proxmox being a, a particularly good example of it that why you would pay for any sort of virtualization software at all is beyond me i know you paid for parallels for your mac so you could mess around with some windows stuff but the open source utm qemu based thing which is what proxmox is is just as good frankly it doesn't have some of the graphics driver stuff but performance in virtual machines for gaming and all the rest of it is so dodgy at the best of times that it's not worth that anyway and actually qemu will let you pass through graphics cards these days at least on the intel side so you do get that kind of performance side of it too you get live server moving while they're in production all the rest of it good backups blah 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 so with things like VirtualBox and with things like utm on the very small consumer end for virtualization i'm not surprised these products are beginning to go away I think you're right. I remember though, last time I think I looked at VirtualBox. Um, it's owned by Sun now, or Oracle, should I say. But VirtualBox, I think, is only Intel now on Mac because they haven't done an ARM version of it, which is interesting. Because I used to use VirtualBox all the time. And like you, I thought I would never pay for one again. It's fantastic and it's free. Yeah. So, not a surprise. I'm sure if you're a corporate customer that spent an awful lot on perpetual licensing for VMware at some point, you might be quite aggrieved at this. Yeah, but they'll probably do a conversion plan to ease you over. There will be cost on it, but what they want to get is that continual yearly revenue because most corporate software has gone that way. It's now not big perpetual upgrades every five years or insert number here. It's every year we're going to have a continual subscription license from you. Oh, I know. I mean, let's face it, we get it on, on the whole user end as well. Look at us with our hooks in our mouth for our Apple software every time, every month or, or our streaming service to whatever or our Amazon Prime. It's the same. It's not just big business that pays this. It's all of us as consumers these days. Yeah, that is true. Um, the consumer model and the, and the corporate model have become more or less one and the same, just and with different economies of scale. And I can do a nice segue here into our next story. Speaking of companies that like to charge you a huge amount of subscription, Adobe, which is well known for absolutely raking you for money, has had to abandon its $20 billion acquisition of the app Figma. Yeah, not a big surprise, I think. You know, they're literally buying the, 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 the competition, what is more of a startup challenger to their market space. Amazed it got as far as it did. So they've abandoned the, the 20 billion acquisition. But did you know they had to pay a billion pounds to Figma as an exit fee if it was aborted? That's a lot of money. The fact I like about that is that is one Instagram. So their exit fee was one Instagram. 
Yeah, I saw that on Mastodon too. I thought that was a great way of summarizing it. Don't buy Figma, you pay one Instagram, which Instagram at the time, if you remember, people thought, well, that's a lot of money for one company, a billion billion dollars, I think it was. But um, in hindsight, it looks like one of the best acquisitions ever made. That or YouTube for Google, because that was only 700 million or something like that, only. Yeah, fair play to Google. If they hadn't bought that, their relevance would be diminishing because I know they've got you at the search engine, but they don't have a destination past that, do they? But YouTube is a destination for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So this deal was scuppered really by regulators. The CMA, the EU and others were looking at this deal and, and there was too much over oversight of it, I think, for Adobe. So they walked away from the deal. In the statement, they say that it was Figma and Adobe that walked away from the deal, but we know it was Adobe that walked away. We know they wanted to kill off a competitor, absorb them in the same way that that company Meta is very good at and Google is very good at and Microsoft is very good at. Adobe want to maintain their dominant market position. Figma was getting a lot of good reviews, good news, and they were trying to do the same thing. So fair play. I hope Figma continues to grow beyond this. Yeah, agreed. Figma rightly getting the attention it deserved, I think. And they've got the benefit of being a challenger, but they're not only a challenger, but they really invested and made a quality product. Um yeah, I'm not surprised, like I say. It'd be great to see Figma build build some things out. A bit like Pixelmator have done in one area, it'd be great to see Figma do it in a different space. Yeah, I think that's fair. And one of the antitrust uh, organisations in this was the EU, and we're going to feature the EU. I'm, I'm hitting my segues hard this week. The EU are looming large over our next few stories. Do you want to tell us about the first one? I'd love to if I knew about it. I haven't read this one, I apologise, so... Okay, so the European Union is formally investigating X slash Twitter um, into its, I'm trying to think of the right way of saying this, its potentially promotion of illegal, harmful, or erroneous content appearing on X or being allowed to appear on X. So this all stems back to the fact that there is no community moderation on X these days. Before Elon bought the company, they used to spend an awful lot of time making sure there was appropriate material, that things were fact-checked. All This is why uh, people such as Trump were kicked off X slash Twitter to begin with, because they were spreading fake news, which I quite like saying in relation to that. So the EU is formally investigating this, which I think is both the correct thing to do and I don't think Elon's going to respond very well to this at all. No, Elon is not going to respond well to this at all. But I agree with you. It's 100% the right thing to do. I'm amazed X has got away with it for quite a while now of being a bit loosey-goosey, I guess, with compliance and letting people say whatever they want to say and bringing people back that were originally banned and things. It's it's not good, is it? And it is all a bit sad seeing Twitter like this, what was Twitter. And it's just got worse and worse. It'll be interesting in three years' time. Are we still talking about X or not? The best thing about this, or the most interesting thing about this, as far as I'm concerned, is that this is the first application of the Digital Services Act that we talked about in the sort of lead-up to being published for those companies that are classed as being very large online platforms, which, you know, Apple claims they're not for messages, as we already talked about, but this is the first application of this law. So that's super interesting as well. See what teeth this law actually has. And it's probably a good place for them to start because it's the one that's the most concerning, I think, at the moment and needs the most attention. So it's great they're starting to look into it. And then I'm sure others will follow because I guess this could lead you, you know, into LinkedIn, into TikTok, all these other services that have the same opportunities as X. Sorry, I struggle to say that as X, but yet they probably haven't got the bit where they've re-enabled accounts have been, you know, already banned, if that makes sense. So X already stuck their head 
above the parapet, so it can't be a surprise. No, not at all. So our second story related to the EU is that they're going to ban anti-steering app store rules. So anti-steering is to stop you having favoured position on the platform. So Apple pushing you towards Apple Music on iPhones is very much steering you in that direction or away from Spotify or Deezer or other music services. So it's going to be handed a loss in its antitrust battle with Spotify in the European Union. EU regulators are preparing a ruling that would prohibit Apple from blocking music services from pushing their users away from the App Store to alternative subscription op- uh, options. I think this is right, don't you? Yeah, I'm going to be curious now how they test this. Like, are they going to ask Apple to prove that they didn't have code in the search when somebody typed in music? Will it automatically put Apple Music front center top and try to bury spotify i I don't know how this is going to how you evidence this but it'll be interesting to see it will be so this is following a complaint from spotify that they filed four years ago with the eu it's taken a long time for this to bubble up yeah that that bit is rubbish isn't it it's just too long isn't it yeah i mean this is related to the digital markets act that's coming into the eu but the most interesting thing for apple i think is this is that there will be a hefty fine potentially as part of the ruling potentially reaching as much as 10 percent of its annual sales in the eu that's a lot of money that is a lot of money and if regulators have this kind of power to hit apple on this one decision think of the Fortnite ruling think of the other rulings as well this is really time for apple to get the ducks in a row and, and stop being so I'm going to say it, anti-competitive. But I think that's my point earlier in the show, isn't it? Apple are being forced to do some of these things that they should have done earlier on. And they should, should be looking at their values and going, should we, should we do music steering? No, we shouldn't. It's not in line with our values. It's not the right thing to do. And yet here we are. They're now going to get forced into making some changes. Maybe they knew it was a short-term thing, but thought they'd see how long they could get away with it for. Yeah, one thing they do seem to be trying to sort this out on a little bit, though, is that they've offered to open up the iPhone's NFC chip, which is what Apple Pay uses. They don't know, we don't know what this means yet, but apparently they've said to the EU they're going to open up the NFC chip. So I presume this means you won't have to go through Apple Wallet to add cards to, you know, to, to that. So I guess that's a good thing. I guess it is. But again, Apple should have done this earlier. But because they haven't, everybody's already got used to Apple Wallet and therefore it's probably going to be harder for a challenger product to do that. But then maybe if you don't have an alternative wallet app, maybe your PayPal app could do more within it. You know, you could maybe use your PayPal app to pay for something in a shop and it comes straight out of your account through the NFC and off you go. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what, what this actually means. Or even your own banking app if you're a nationwide customer or something like that. You set that up and as part of that, it just generates you a digital credit card debit card yeah that would make sense so yeah it could be interesting to see where they go with this i was setting up a new iphone this week and i gotta say the apple wallop app got in my way uh any card i tried to add for add to it was just coming up error 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 and it still won't do it on the apple watch for no good reason and the banking apps are all installed properly they can be logged into and all the rest of it apple wallet is in the way Mm, interesting yeah not great I quite like Apple Wallet. I get annoyed when loyalty cards and things don't have an Apple Wallet one because I do remember to, it's in my wallet, I generally use it. I don't want to go into the app. You know, a lot of cards make you go into the app and I don't like that. I just want it in my wallet because it's there every time I check out. I agree. It's a, it's a huge time saver, but people should be allowed to have options for other things. And that's what this boils down to is if you're happy using it, great. 
If you're not happy using it, there should be a non-penalty sort of alternative where if you were nationwide and you wanted to default to that card, double tapping the button should launch the nationwide card app, not Apple Wallet. Yeah, consumer choice. Yeah, that's a novelty, isn't it? Um, I do have a photo album that is just cards. So it might be my Wix card or my Tesco Club card that I share with my wife. Because they don't support the app, I just have a screen grab of it and I save it in a photo album. So at least I have it at checkout so that my wife and I can have the same card or I don't have to fire up the account and we can share the points or whatever the rewards may be. There are apps that let you generate Apple Wallet passes though. So if you have got a before Subway or whatever had their own cards, you could do that and generate Apple Wallet. Yeah, I need to get a bit more organized with it, I think. But in the end, I just did screen grabs and chucked them in a photo album. But (laughs) I should get more organized and put them all in the one place. Fair enough. Do you want to tell us about Philips Hue? We were only talking about them the other week in the fact that I never have used a Philips Hue device in my house. Over all the years that I've quite enjoyed home, smart home stuff for some reason. And Philips were quite early, but for some reason I've just never used them. Yeah, but they're now saying they're reorganizing and they're planning to cut jobs to save $218 million. So obviously things aren't great for Philips Hue either. They're not. And I'm seeing this with a lot of companies. I think a lot of companies have got little fat around the sides and you're seeing it aren't you where a lot of companies are going right well how do we keep going but do do more with less and then some people are even using ai as we've talked in previous uh, podcasts around of actually can we have less people and use automation or artificial intelligence or machine learning to actually have less staff or make our existing staff more productive so obviously they're not making all the money that they thought they were and they're going to get a bit leaner, or are they just trying to squeeze squeeze the margins? So it'd be interesting to know how how, how desperate are things at Philips Hue. I must confess, I've seen very few people that have got Philips Hue devices in my world. I, I, I can't explain why that is. I, I don't know. They st- I don't know if they're just in the tech sphere more, or whether they've hit the general population. Because you do see them like in your John Lewis here in the UK. But this is the thing a lot of companies are doing. I think we're going to see more of this as we go into next year of, companies just trying to get leaner and be more efficient it seems to be a real drive at the moment especially in the uk let alone uh, i think these guys are based in the netherlands aren't they yeah they are i mean it's a bit, becoming a bit table stakes isn't it smart light bulbs lots of things support them amazon google apple all support them the matter light bulbs and you know, we've talked about that integration over time as well i wonder how many people care most people walk in a room flick on a light switch and their lamp or their overhead light and they're quite happy with they don't necessarily need to change the tone or the light bulbs and have them come on at a particular time but it is a very techie thing i know there are alternatives there are things like uh, ikea has their own one is it called traffic or something like that i forget what it's called but they're i was gonna say i can never pronounce the ikea names i love that they lean into it but i can never pronounce them and i've because i've got the blinds and the way they work and it all integrates with the home kit is fantastic. So I think that is the thing. Philips was early doors and was a bit of a differentiator because they had their hub. They probably had their own ecosystem, whereas now everything's in matter. There's less of a differentiator, if that makes sense, because everybody's going to use the same standard. So it doesn't matter whether you buy the Philips one or you buy the ABC one on Amazon. Matter doesn't work, though. It does and doesn't work. No, I don't it doesn't. think it's 100% reliable. It doesn't work for me. I, I, I should put, it, put this in follow-up. I had another go at trying to get these matter sockets you uh, recommended integrated, and it's led me down a world of hurt. My one absolutely for sure matter device has got a thread radio is my Apple TV 4K that I bought in America, and it's the top-end ones when it's got the thread radio. It appears, 
as HomeKit, I can rename it, but it doesn't. It's decided it's not a Home HomeKit hub. I don't know how I can make it a HomeKit hub. Everything's signed in the way it's meant to be. It's an Apple TV. It's on the network. I can see it. I can airplay to it. I cannot get these stupid bloody light things added, power sockets added. I don't know what to say. Um, I had trouble adding mine, and I used my wife's phone to do it. For some reason, it wouldn't work with my phone. But this is the problem. It's not an exact science, and there is no exact error messages to go away and Google and go, right, I've got error one, two, three. Oh, no, no. I get an error message. It, it says HomeKit is running the incorrect software version. Yeah, I know. You've got some spurious bit of kit hiding in your house. Oh, I, well, it makes no sense. As, uh, if you read about it, as long as you're on 16.2 uh, iOS above on, on some devices, everything in this house is up to date. So I've tried switching off home hubs. I've tried turning things off and on again. I've tried wiring them in and out. I've tried using alternative phones. It is absolutely impossible to add it. And there is no troubleshooting. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. That is a proper game of whack-a-mole, isn't it? Because it's so hard to diagnose. Yeah. Anyway, I'll take my grumpy self off and let's have a look at the next story. Apparently, Bing was making up facts about the European elections. Did you see this? I hadn't seen it, but I did have a quick look at it. And it just reminded me of the humane AI, I can't remember what they called it, badge thing. That pin, they pin. The pin, thank you. And they asked, I can't remember what they asked it, but they asked it some a couple of things and it got it wrong and they just carried on and it was in their press release. And I think this is my concern with the whole AI piece right now. It's just, now's not the time. It's too early. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to lean into it too heavily. And we've seen all the sort of sturm and drang at OpenAI with Sam Altman and all the rest of it. This particular story, and I like the quote, well, the, the paragraph on The Verge. Human rights organization Algorithm Watch said in a report that it asked Bing Chat, recently rebranded as Copilot, questions about recent elections held in Switzerland and the German states of B- Bavaria and Hesse. It found that one third of its answers to election-related questions had factual errors and safeguards were not evenly applied. That's not a good look. It's not good, is it? And I think this is my concern with all of it. People are just going, yep, that's right, move on. And they're not checking it. Even though Bing does cite where it gets its data from using its responses, I, I'm uncomfortable with it at the moment. And there is a concern that people just go, yep, that's fine, move on. But it's not fine. Don't well, move on. I got asked to use the new version of Bard, which is Google's version of this, this morning. So I did a couple of searches. Sorry, questions, not searches. And it has an interesting thing at the bottom where it goes, would you like to verify this against Google search? Which is interesting. They've got to do something though, haven't they? Because they know. Yeah. They know not everything's right. But Google search can be wrong too, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's why you need humans. And that's why Microsoft obviously, and they, they do lean into, we've called it Copilot. It doesn't replace you. You can verify it before it sends anything, before it does anything. And they are clearly doing that for that very reason. Yes, moving on, you and I are both on Mastodon. The big 40-pound gorilla in the room is Threads, which is Meta's go at this kind of social networking app in the death throes of X slash Twitter, if that's what's happening. And this week they've announced that it's going to be integrating using ActivityPub with Mastodon. And I see if you're on the .social Mastodon instance, this has actually already gone live. Oh, is it? I probably don't use Mastodon enough. But I am impressed with Threads. I think they've spotted an opportunity... I think we spoke about it in the year. They've capitalized on it. They've got it live. They're adding new features. I think it's now just come to the EU as well. And they have actually started to deliver the ActivityPub integration that they talked about doing, but 
nobody was sure would they actually see it through. So I think we're seeing a very different face to Meta lately. For those of you unaware, ActivityPub is the standard framework for messaging platforms such as X, Threads, Mastodon, and so that you you you. you are you happy with that explanation? Uh, uh, not X. X don't oh, support no. activity. Bill. Yeah. X don't support it, but they could do. That kind of format of tweet slash thread slash toot, you, you could all go on that one, and it doesn't matter where you're coming from. You don't need to be on any one of them, and you could see messages from other platforms. So I think it's great they're doing it, and I think Meta are really trying to rehabilitate themselves, to be fair. And I am not a Meta fan, but I've been quite impressed with what they're doing. One of the things I like about this, and it shows the sort of strength of the federated network that is Mastodon, is it's down to your server instance whether they're going to federate with threads or not. So because Eugene Rotko, who, who wrote Mastodon, is happy with this, he thinks it's fine that there's an integration between threads and Mastodon. Mastodon.social Mastodon .social has opted into this. So you can follow, I think his name is Adam Masseri, who's the CEO of threads, and you can start following his posts. I don't know what they call them on threads inside of your client of choice for Mastodon. My .scott, Mastodon.scott server has decided not to federate with threads at the moment. They're leaving it up to the user base and they're going to wait and see. And at some point they may opt in. You as a user, even if your instance does opt in, can say, I want no part in threads and opt all users of the threads instance outside of your control. I like that level of control. It's probably a bit too geeky for some. They just want to sport star Y that's over there. They want to follow what they're doing now. This might give them that as long as their instance supports it. But given that Mastodon's social is the biggest instance and it's supporting it and most ignorant users might be a slightly unfair way of saying that probably signed up to that because that's what was offered to them when they, when they left Twitter and they came looking for something different. I think that works okay. Yeah, I think it's okay. And it, it will come over time, won't it? I think as people get used to it and comfortable, you can see it's probably going to go to more and more Mastodon in instances. Um, I think it's great. Like I said, I just think it's great threads are doing what they're doing. If Mastodon's a toot and Twitter is a tweet, I don't know what X is, but would threads not be a thread? You've started a thread? Could that, be. That would be my view. Could be. It could be. Anyway, we've, we will see. It's interesting times, isn't it? Should we talk about GM, everybody's favourite for dropping CarPlay? <laughs> yeah, this was fascinating. I mean, they said earlier in the week that the reason, one, another reason they dropped CarPlay is because it didn't give as reliable an overview as what was happening inside of their own apps. And everybody knows how slow in-car navigation slash infotainment systems can be. And in all instances when I've used CarPlay, even in the remote bizarre way I've got it set up in my van, it's been very, very fast, very, very responsive and almost never let me down, except when it was in beta, when Maps was new, and it tried to send me the wrong way down a motorway. But that was fair enough. That was in beta. It's now a well-polished, well-used product, and GM just continually to get get this more and more wrong, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I agree with you. Do you think GM are talking themselves into why they're doing it, or they're trying to put their customers in? It, it feels like they're just trying to yeah get themselves comfortable with the decision they made. And then they're trying to convince not only us, but them that they are doing the right thing. It would be really interesting, you know what, a year from now, FGM backtracked on it. You know, at what point do they go, we should just listen to the room? I don't know. I'm super curious. I think there was an opportunity. Unless, big unless, will they go the way of Tesla, where you can have your Apple Music app, your Apple Podcasts app, 
And it's tricky now because GM are rubbishing their Apple relationship a little bit here. Are they then going to turn around and go, actually, it'd be great to get Apple Music in our GM cars on Apple Podcasts? I don't know. It's going to be curious to see how it plays out. Let's face it, this won't just be CarPlay. This will be Android Auto as well. You know, if they don't want people picking up their phones in their cars, which is what they say there, I think you're more likely to pick up your phone if you're using the in-car infotainment system than you are if it's built into the dashboard of the car, Android or CarPlay. I just think this is boneheaded, and the way we'll see it is when people stop buying GM vehicles. I really only want a CarPlay car moving forward because I get in my car, I can listen to all my music, I can listen to all my podcasts, I can listen to all my Audible books, I can occasionally deal with a text message if I must, but I try and avoid it and just deal with it when I stop. But I love it. I'm not going back because entertainment is a big bit of driving. If you're driving for two hours, you just want to carry on listening to the audiobook that you started before you are in the car. It always reminds me, I don't know if you remember this advert, but when the iPod, I think it was third gen, came out, they had an advert of somebody listening to music on some headphones and they got in their car and I think they docked their iPod in their car and they could carry on listening to the music. You know, they, they kind of showed you just carrying on listening to the music. And for me, that's what car plays. I'm just carrying on with the media that I'm listening to. And it's those three things, music, podcasts and books. And I can't see how GM are going to get around this unless they sign up all the apps that I like to use. And obviously, I only use a subset of three apps. You probably use a different three apps and somebody else around the corner will use a different set of apps. So I'm not convinced at all they are doing the right thing. I think they had an opportunity and they they blew it. But who knows? Maybe there will be a resurgence in automakers doing their own OSs. And we go back to what is the Tesla way? Because Tesla have stuck to their guns on this. And all of a sudden, Apple is starting to, you know, are starting to do Apple Music and podcasts for it. So will Audible be next? We shall see, I guess. I did see this week that the other story we've reported on a few times is the NAX charging standard, the North American charging standard, that more and more companies are adopting in America, that VW have now said they'll switch over to that as well. So I think that's going to be the dominant standard in America now. Yeah, it does look like it. Well um, done, Tesla. Not. But like I say, maybe maybe people are going to follow Tesla's lead. It's only Tesla that jump-started, excuse the pun, on getting to electric cars. You know, I you know if the Tesla business didn't happen, would I be driving an electric BMW right now? I don't know. I think they really helped to get it to the masses. And are they going to do the same for in-car entertainment? Are people going to follow their lead? Don't Good know. questions. We shall see. Last story for news. Tell us about it. I was a little annoyed about this. So Apple have released the USB-C AirPods Pro case. So they brought out with the iPhone 15 and 15 Pro, USB-C AirPods Pro 2, slightly tweaked version that works better with your Vision Pro if you were to get one next year. But they didn't release just a regular USB-C case, which we all thought was coming for our regular AirPods Pro 2. And I was annoyed, but in the Black Friday sale, I thought, Oh, I'll just buy some AirPods. They were they were a reasonable price. I was a little cheesed off because I didn't really want to spend that much money. And for even less than that, half the price while I've paid, I could have just bought the case that I wanted because I do want USB-C now when I'm out and about. So I was a little miffed that why didn't they announce this when they announced the iPhone 15? Maybe they've made a little bit of money out of not announcing it that early, but it does annoy when Apple does things like this. Yeah, I have no comment about this. I'm not rushing it by them. I can charge them with my MagSafe connector for my Apple Watch. So I know you don't wear an Apple Watch, but it's it's a non-story as far as I'm concerned. Eventually, I will probably buy AirPods Pro 3 or 4, whatever the, whatever the next ones are, and they will have USB-C. 
I just love it when I travel. I've got a collapsible pin plug and I've got a USB-C to USB-C cable, iPad, iPhone, AirPods, done. That is basically all I take with me everywhere I go and it will work to charge my Kindle Scribe. I could use it on my Switch and I don't need anything else. And I was just, my AirPods are used a lot and I was just a bit cheesed off. So I just, that's why I went for them. And I'm very happy, but I'm just annoyed. I spent £100 more than I needed to. End of Fair enough. Rant's good. Should do a little bit of media. Let's do it. So we don't have a lot to talk about in media this week. Bizarrely, we're on the run-up to Christmas. We're, we're a bit light on media and games this week. But have you heard of this Freely service? Because I hadn't. No, I've not heard of Freely. I think we're light on media, though, because I think a lot of the series that were coming out are out and are playing through, you know, like your slow horses and what have you. So most things have been released but there's not much new stuff coming in the canon yet. No, I've not heard of Freely, though. Talk me through it. Well, there's not a lot to say other than it's one hub to get ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, you know, BBC, all in one place. And it's mostly for streaming stuff, it would seem. So if you have a live BBC One going on, you could fire up Freely and get it rather than needing a cable to do it. At this point, it doesn't seem to contain elements of the iPlayer as we'd know it or ITVX as we'd know it where you could go and watch Hornblower or Taskmaster or something like that but all the channels will be live via Freely for you to get it and I think that's not bad to concentrate them all into one place It's the one thing I am missing on my Apple TV I would, and I know they're trying to do it with the Apple TV app but I just want to see what's on TV now across all the channels and click into it I've got iPlayer, I've got the ITV app, I've got the Channel 4 app, I've got the Channel 5 app and we've we only had five channels here in the UK, but why can't that all just appear in one one schedule? Do you know what I mean? It'd be great if Apple had a universal schedule that they could all plumb into. Because often my wife goes, "What's on TV right now?" And you've got to go in and out of all the apps, and that is a little frustrating. I think. Yep, I think it's a good thing. We'll wait and see what happens with it. I think it's a fairly early announcement. This may integrate well with the new Apple TV app as well. That's now you know the latest version of seventeen point two that's on our TV OS, where you get a better what's up next overview of what's happening, I think, and it does tie in quite well with what you were last watching on Amazon or everything except Netflix, basically. So this kind of thing is quite, is quite good, I think. Yeah, and that is the problem, I think. It, certainly for me, when I resubscribed to Netflix, I forgot I'd resubscribed because it wasn't appearing in the WhatsApp in the what's up next queue in Apple TV. And I did get a little bit annoyed with that because I, I was part way through watching some things but it is what it is I've only I've cancelled my Netflix subscription I just ran it for a month watched the 10 things I wanted and then I'll I'll get it again at some point I think that's fair enough moving on I've got two TV shows uh, that I want to talk about very briefly. The first one is Reacher. Season 2 has just dropped on Amazon Prime. Well, the first three episodes have just dropped on Amazon Prime. Did you read any of the Lee Child Reacher books? No, I've not read them. I've seen the Tom Cruise movies, and I'm aware people are disappointed because Tom Cruise is not the shape or size of their main character. Jack Reacher, I I think his his name is. I actually quite enjoyed the films, but I haven't read the books, which is odd for me because I normally do read the books to go with the film but are the books good books are great often when traveling on uh, on an airplane or anything like that on holiday i would pick up a lee child jack reacher book i'd be thoroughly entertained for the sort of dumb entertainment that it is some of them are cleverer than others it's more or less the same book over 20 or 25 books or 30 books or whatever they're up to these days lee child's actually stopped writing them now and handed them over to his brother but will continue writing under the name lee child but they are great and particularly the first 
10 or 15. They're proper page-turning drama things. They're really, really good. There's a lot of them. Are you, are you looking them up, are you? Um, there's a lot 20, of them. 29 books, there which includes one that comes out next year. There you go. But they're great, and I've read them all. And like you, I didn't not enjoy the Tom Cruise movie movies. Both of them are okay, but he is absolutely not Jack Reacher. I'm not sure the guy who plays him on TV, Alan Richardson, I think his name is, is also Jack Reacher, but he's a damn sight closer and he's a good actor and I'm thoroughly enjoying him in the part. He is the most buff man I've ever seen. He is perfect. He takes his top off. I, I called my 18-year-old daughter, 20-year-old daughter to come down and look how ripped this guy was and she was mesmerized. So he's a, he's a, he's a very well-built man. He's a pretty decent actor and I just genuinely quite like Amazon's approach to Reacher. It's far closer to the books than what you saw in the film. So I've thoroughly enjoyed the three episodes that have dropped of season two. I'm looking forward to the rest of them. Yeah, maybe I do have Amazon Prime. Maybe I need to pop that one on the list to, to watch at some point and, and see what it's like. Yep. Second thing, and I've only watched one episode of this. I was hunting around for something to watch, as you do, while I wait for the next episode of For All Mankind and Slow Horses to drop, obviously. And I suggested that I watch Blue Eye Samurai, which is an animated thing that's on Netflix. I watched the first episode. It was about an hour and five minutes. It's terrific. I learned a little bit of history about Japan in the 1600s. It's obviously not entirely realistic, but... What a great little story in animation. So I'm going to consume the rest of those over the Christmas period because there's not a lot on according to the Radio Times and Blue Eye Samurai was worth a watch. It was great you found something new. My wife was making noise about buying the Radio Times for those who don't know in the UK, that's a mag that tells you what's on the TV channels. And it used to be a thing when we were children, you'd go through it, you'd mark off what you really wanted to watch that was new this year. I'm less fussed about getting one because often we stream and catch up with stuff that way yeah no it's good i will resubscribe to netflix at some point maybe i'll check that one out but i'll probably wait for drive to survive to drop next year fair enough i just added in family plan which is a new film on apple tv plus with mark Wahlberg and i'm going to mangle her last name but michelle moynihan i don't know if i said that correctly i don't know what this is like but i think it might be worth checking out but it's one they've just dropped quite recently because um, they don't do many films on apple tv yeah, I, I, I know you have a thing about films over TV shows. I'm happy with the TV show thing. Although they have, of course, won an Oscar for a film. So, I'm a films guy. Um, I don't know what I can say. I do like a TV show every now and again, but I like a film because I find it's just less of a commitment unless you're going to watch Killers of a Flower Moon. The other thing I was just going to mention, though, uh, my children went back and watched some Grand Tour on Amazon Prime. Their picture quality on that show was amazing. Just you know, I don't know what they filmed some of the scenery in and the Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond and James May um, Top Gear spin-off, but the picture quality is astounding. How sharp and amazing some of the scenery looks. And that obviously have been some very beautiful countries, but the way they filmed it and then broadcast it to my house over the internet, stunning. That's all I wanted to say. It just thought they should win something for the way they've distributed a really high quality picture without losing it in compression and all that. And I know I've got good internet and I've got 4K TV and an Apple TV box plugged into it. But the quality is the best picture quality I've ever seen, I think. Fair enough. Should we do it? The shortest game section we've ever done. Yeah, because I've not played any games. I have, but it's boring. I'm not going to talk about it. Instead, I'm just going to point listeners to this article on The Verge about PlayStation keeps reminding us why digital ownership sucks. So last week... Sony decided, because there was some content licensing problems, that users that had bought any Discovery content 
would be removed from their accounts. So potentially they could have spent a lot of money on Discovery content. Uh, but as of December 31st, 2023, they won't be able to view any of that. And as always with these kinds of stories, you don't really own anything anymore, do you? You're just renting it. If Apple one day decides to change its content licensing stuff with all the movies you've bought over the years, you won't have a leg to stand on. They'll just be gone. Yeah, as you were saying this, I was thinking, God knows I've got a digital PlayStation. I've bought hundreds of movies on I, what was iTunes movies? Obviously, now it's just Apple TV store, I guess. I don't really buy any music. It's weird. I'm happy to buy films and some TV shows, but I don't ever think about buying any music. I'm kind of explaining it. And I've bought, I don't know, a lot of books, probably 100 books on Audible. So I've got a lot of digital content. I've enjoyed the money I've spent on it. I think if they took some away today, where there's one thing or five things, I'd be absolutely cheesed off, but I've probably got the value out of it that I've spent on it because if it's a book I've listened to it I occasionally I go back and listen to some books multiple times films I do watch a lot but you're right though it can be taken away like that why aren't the EU antitrust laws looking into that that I've paid for something and it can be taken away from me that's not right it's all of a piece for me that once upon a time you'd have bought a book and you'd have read it and you would have put it on your bookshelf and if you didn't want it you'd have put it in a used bookstore and somebody else would have appreciated that book and we don't have that anymore. You have bought this. You didn't rent any of these things. These people bought them. They didn't rent them. I buy games on Steam, but technically they could do the same thing. They could take, they could take all them offers as well. So I've got a bit of a problem with this really. I don't think that it's fair that something you've bought, not rented, because you could have rented it and still had the same value out of it for almost the same amount of money as buying it, which is why you buy the things in the first place. And then you look at, we've talked about before, games going away. All those old ROMs for arcade machines and C64 games that are sort of in a weird unlicensed state. Nobody really owns them, but it's not really legal to download them. And then Nintendo Switch off things like the, th- the 3DS or the Wii U stores for those consoles. They all just go away. You've bought those games. That is not fair. There should be a means of continuing to prove you own them beyond renting them. I don't disagree. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it works. It's you raise a fair point though, because you know, five years from now, and throughout my PlayStation Five, can I play any of these games? How how is any of that going to work? I think maybe Nintendo getting better at it with all the legacy stuff they've done on the Switch, where you can go back and play old games. But are they going to keep that going? You know, ongoing in perpetuity. But you have to buy them again or rent them again. I think that is a problem. Yeah, oh, that, that's a difference. Digital legacy is a hard one, isn't it? It really is. You think once upon a time, your great-grandparents died and they left you that treasured first edition book or whatever it was, maybe, if you were lucky enough. That is never going to be a thing anymore. It's very... Is the word ephemeral? I think the word is ephemeral for what these things are. Yeah, and I do... So I'm mixed on books. I do buy some physical books. I enjoy a physical book. But equally, I'm quite happy to read on a Kindle. It just depends what mood I'm in. So that's probably the one thing I do by physical media. But a long time ago, when I lived in a much smaller house, I still want physical media cluttering up the house. Yeah, think of the box sets we used to buy or books, the CDs, the films. And our house is a lot tidier because we don't have hundreds of DVDs. Yeah, man, books is just an illustration. And, and even if you had a DVD, by the time X Blu-ray DVD streaming dot one comes out, none of them will fit in the player anyway. So it's it's a problem. And it's just more the... The lack of permanence to any of these things that we have these days. If you subscribe to a streaming service, it can drop off the streaming service. If you buy the thing, they can stop the content license and it goes away. And if it's something you really value, that's a problem. 
Yeah. No, you are right. One thing we didn't mention, though, is sometimes, only sometimes, when you buy a digital film, you do get, you know, a HD version updated. Occasionally, like Reservoir Dogs, I think I got a free uplift to 4K. So occasionally you get that free uplift, which is nice and is a benefit, but it's probably the rarity, not the norm. Yeah. Fair enough. Should we do a little bit of a main show? Let's do a little bit of a main show. So... I, I will be a little bit of a main show as well because we're going to in danger of going very long today. But this is a little story I picked up on Nine to Five Mac with, and I'm gonna I'm not finding for Elon, but it just it's interesting one of his arguments. So with all the stuff he's been kicking up and the fact he's pushing back against Apple recently about freedom of speech and Twitter and slash X being the sort of the exemplar for freedom of speech, which we know that it's not. But this week he said that Apple hates free speech. And this is why they've stopped advertising and doing all this kind of stuff for them. And on this, I slightly wonder if he's got a point in as much as last week we reported on Apple and Robert De Niro and them censoring Robert De Niro for what he said. And the week before that, we talked about Apple pulling Jon Stewart's show, the problem with Jon Stewart, because they didn't like what he said about China and things like that. I don't think he's wrong. Apple might not like all free speech. I think Apple likes free speech free speech as long as it toes the company line and is in line with their values therefore not necessarily free speech um i think you're right i think every corporation though has this problem when you've got people associated with you or working directly for you you want them to speak within what your values and aims and mission is and it's rare for a company i guess to want anybody to literally have free speech about their views whether they're very modern views in in line with current trends or whether they're you know f- from an era that, that's gone by and i guess it is tricky for apple because they've got a public perception of they're perceived i think as being i'm trying to think apologies i'm trying to think of the right way they're, they're perceived as being the you know the company that's that's with it that does care and understands and is sustainable and isn't just here to make money but yet they make all the money and they're trying to always constantly walk that line of being a company that's all about security and privacy, but sometimes they do things with their, with your privacy that they shouldn't be doing because they don't allow their customers to do it, but yet they, they use it for their own nefarious means. And I guess it's the same here, especially with Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah, well, for free speech, but not if you're on Apple's dime. We want you to tow company line and, and not do this. So it is a real tricky position for them, especially, I guess, as they've got bigger and then, you know, they're making films, they're doing music, they, you know, they're being sustainable, they're in multiple countries, they're advertising, or were advertising on the X platform. They've got to constantly find the right balance for them as a business to advertise their products and generate revenue, but also live by their, their values and their integrity. So it's it's a real tricky one. I think they've they've struggled with the X piece and obviously Elon will call anybody out. So he's probably in a completely different world, but he's not worried about walking any line or finding any sort of balance. Yeah. I mean, Elon is walking his own line and I'm not saying Elon Musk is right about any of this stuff, but I do think it's an interesting approach to take where he has been criticized for his reposting and liking tweets, which are absolutely wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. I'm not endorsing that, but Apple pulled their advertising off the platform because of that, as did all those other companies but it's very hypocritical of them. You know, they did the right thing in this case. I'm not saying it, but it is hypocritical for them in light of the way they censor their employees and their approach to having to run servers managed by the Chinese government in China and that sort of difference as well. They're 
obviously a corporation. You're right. They're out to make all the money in the world. But I just find I'm slightly uncomfortable with this, and I, it makes me more uncomfortable that Elon has raised this because I don't like Elon at all. I think he's completely wrong about almost everything. Damn, I drive one of his cars. So th- this this whole thing makes me examine a little bit more Apple's approach to things, Apple, what they say, th- all the stuff we've been talking about with security and, and, and the beeper piece. The, the, it feels like the sheen is coming off Apple slightly for me when you sort of start picking away at this a little bit, which isn't a surprise. As as this podcast has gone on and you and I have looked at Microsoft's behavior and Meta's behavior and Google's behavior, Apple don't always come out of this in the best light. And I think this is another instance of them not coming out of this in the best light. If they wanted to walk the walk as well as just talk the talk, we'd see an awful lot more of them. No, no we will do the right thing with the EU. No, no, we will do the right thing and let our actors and let our producers and, you know, people who work for us say what they want to say. As long as they're not giving away corporate secrets, you know, what they say isn't portraying Apple in a particular light. It's very different Robert De Niro saying a thing than Tim Cook saying a thing or Craig Federici saying a thing. They work for the company. Robert De Niro is an actor who just happens to be in a film. So... the line they're threading here is becoming a little uncomfortable for me. No, I completely agree. And obviously, Robert De Niro is associated with the company and therefore has to toe, toe the line. So it is a real tricky one. A slight tangent. Have you read Elon's book by Walter Isaacson? So I read Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs and it was drivel. So I wasn't buying another Walter Isaacson book. Um, interesting to me how the Elon book looks very similar to the Steve Jobs book. They've, there is differences. It's shiny, it's not matte, it's black instead of white as a background. But the, the font, you know, the, the photo used of the main character, very similar. Um, I actually listened to Walter Isaacson on the Diary of a CEO podcast. He was actually super interesting because he followed Elon for quite a long time and actually had an insight into Elon's life about when he went to that data center and ripped out one of Twitter's data centers and things. Just really interesting insight, and it actually made me want to listen to the book. I probably wouldn't want to read it. I'd probably want to listen to it so I can skip forwards if I if I needed to. But I actually gave a bit more of an insight into how Elon thinks. I don't necessarily agree with Elon. So for me, it'd be a bit of a weird book to listen to because normally I buy a, a biography of somebody I am interested to, and I feel like I'm more aligned to them and I enjoy their work. I don't enjoy Elon's work. Uh, but I, the way he he was portraying in that was super interesting how Elon's driven and wants to, you know, tackle big problems. And he does tackle a lot of big problems, Elon. I don't necessarily agree with how he goes about it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, for a long time, I was quite impressed with Elon Musk in the sense that, he's, you know, the rocketry was impressive. Tesla was hugely, we've already talked about the impact they had on the EV market. Things like the boring company were interesting, if frivolous. And there seemed to be something actually quite world-changing about him, as opposed to he flipped and became a Bond villain at some point, and a fairly cartoonish Bond villain. And you start to, in light of that, you start to question a lot of the things he does. And this instance that made it happen for me was those, uh, the cave diver who was trying to help the boys in Thailand. When Elon came along and said, I'll just design you a submarine to do it. And there was a whole allegation of pedophilia as part of that was, was levied against the British diver that was involved and all sorts of stuff. And it went to court. And I thought, that's incredibly petty. You know, the British diver quite rightly said, you can't get these boys out of the cave because it's in a cave. You're not going to be able to turn a submarine or anything like that through one of these things. You need humans to go in and do it. And humans went in and did it and rescued the the boys in Thailand. I think it was Thailand. And Elon's ignorance of the actual situation at that point made me go, oh, hang on. He's not, you know, he's he's not actually maybe quite the 
amazing technical genius that we think he is. And ever since then, I've looked at him in a different light. And every decision he's made since then hasn't quoted him in glory. And I'm not saying he's not an incredibly clever guy. I'm not saying that, you know, all the allegations against him are right and he's anti-Semitic and all the, all the rest of it. But he's not quoting himself in glory at the moment. But this comment has just made me reflect on Apple in a certain light. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, so just to unpack what you said, I think Elon went a step too far by buying Twitter. I think that's not helped his public persona. I do like that he will call anybody out relative to who they are. That's that's quite a thing you don't see very often, but I don't necessarily agree with all these views. I think he's done a lot of good for the world in that he's pushing space flight forward and electric cars, but I think he's also done some bad for the world. And maybe he's got... Maybe one outbalances the other, but I couldn't tell you which way around it is. And these are only things we know about. Who knows what else has happened that's never seen the light of day. So I, I think he's a very mixed character. But maybe, like Meta, he'll have um, a reform and we'll, and we'll change. And we'll maybe we, 10 years from now, we think of him in a different light. But right now, I think he's making a lot of wrong decisions publicly that he could really do to improve his the way we perceive him but maybe he just doesn't care maybe he doesn't anyway food for thought isn't it yeah definitely one last little thing to finish off in the main show i don't know if you saw jason snell's article this week about it's best to start with the default so install a new mac and instead of installing all the bits and pieces that we've come to use for example immediately put one password on immediately put alfred or raycast or one of these launchers on just stick with all the default apps and things, particularly for a new user, and let them come to you to ask, actually, how do I sort this? Did you see the article? didn't read all the article, but I did hear about this on the Upgrade podcast with John Syracuse there on a special guest. And he did go into a bit of this because somebody was asking him, what, what should I install? And I think he's right. You should go with the defaults and try it out and then find out, actually, could could I do this better? Could could Would I benefit from a different email client or you know with the Chrome web browser or whatever it may be? So I do agree with it as a concept. I use a lot of stock apps generally myself. Um, I don't normally go and seek out alternatives, but maybe I'm unique in that. I agree with it as a starting point and then go and find something different. I mean, it's interesting. If I look at my dock now and I look for default apps that are still installed on my dock, there's the Finder because I can't get rid of that. I use Apple's Terminal app because I SSH and I don't think there is a decent alternative to that. Settings is there, although I don't know why I've got that there, because I can fast launch settings in another way. Messages, that's it. So if you look at a default Mac dock, it will have Finder, Launch Control, Safari, Messages, Mail, Maps, Photos, FaceTime, Calendar, Contacts, Reminders, Notes. I can never remember the name of it. Freeform, is that the name of the, the, the app? Yeah. Apple TV, iTunes, sorry, Apple Music, Apple News, Keynote, numbers, pages, uh, software update, uh, and that's it. I've only got one of those <laughs> in my talk. How many have you got? Yeah, so I probably a few more than you. Find it, obviously. Safari's there, Mail's there, Photos there. I don't use my Mac to work, though, by the way. It's more of a recreation. Um, Apple Music's in the dock, Apple Photos, and Messages, um, and that's it. I do have one password. We've obviously got Zoom and what's my recording software called audio hijack so they're the extras i've got but my mac's different on my ipad though most of my dock is full of the microsoft suite because that's what i use in my corporate space 
It's interesting, isn't it? And I agree with Jason. I think you could get away with most of the default apps in most cases. I mean, Zoom replaces FaceTime for me. I don't know who uses FaceTime, frankly. I get the odd call from my children via FaceTime, but that's about it. Other, I barely use FaceTime. Yeah, I mean, they've missed. I think they've missed the boat with FaceTime. They should just give up on FaceTime, frankly. Uh, it's it's not worth the time that, that's there. Uh, I had a very quick look at my iPad there to see if it was default, and it's not. Uh, even on the iPad, I barely use any of the sort of default apps, except Safari, because there's no point in changing it. I agree with Jason. The thing that's missing is a clipboard manager, and that's true for everything. It's true for the iPad. It's true for the Mac. Alfred gives me one uh, on my Mac. I would be lost without having the last 10 or 11 things in memory. I want Apple to do that at system level. Sync it, do it at system level, because I do find it frustrating. Yeah. Is there any sort of default apps that you think Apple have entirely missed the boat on that we should have just as part of our experience? I think passwords, they should break out as an app. I think we spoke about that before because I just having it buried away in settings isn't great. And if they really want to get market share, um, I'm just looking now. Calculator on the iPad? Come on. Where is that? Um, I'm just looking at my phone, if I'm honest. I have to come at my home screen. And they've done all the Office apps. I think they do do a good suite of Office apps. You know, like uh, my parents who are PC people, if they had a Mac, they could have all the Office stuff all up to date. It'd be great. Whereas there's issues obviously you have to pay for it on the on, on the pc and stuff um, but no on the whole i think apple are doing a great job i'm sorry i'm just looking at my phone team what what default apps i would change i think they're largely there like they do the podcast they do the music they do audible books if you wanted there's a lot you could do without leaving the apple ecosystem to be fair what i mean it, i no, I, I agree and it's a dichotomy isn't it we spend most of the time going well you know it's too closed down you're not they're not allowing alternatives in but yet we managed to make use of an awful lot of alternatives, both of us. But I agree with you. I think as stock, you don't immediately need to recommend somebody go out and install such such. You should get to know the operating system, particularly if you come from Windows or Linux or, or an iPad before. You know, you, you need to get a feel for the system to understand what's missing. And Jason's other point about you got to support it if you install something wacky. He's absolutely right. You know, the, the, get used to the default email client. Get used to Safari. And if you don't like it, or it's not doing it for you. The website doesn't load. Then you'll get prompted to install Chrome. And I would say don't install Firefox, given my paranoia about Firefox now dro- dropping below 2% market share. Absolutely install Firefox, not Chrome. You know, I, I think there are good alternatives that could be used, but... It's a pretty solid operating system these days, isn't it? As you've just said, it comes with Office apps, it comes with an email client, it comes with almost everything you'd want to do out of the box. The only thing I'd like them to do, I think, definitely on the Mac, is have a way for all the apps to have a have all the updates in one place. Because I fired up my Mac today, I had to install a Mac OS update, went to the App Store, and there's like, oh, I just checked Zoom. You know, I just wished all that was in one place. It was more of a centralized framework it didn't mean people had to adhere to the app store but all apps could be updated in one place i think that's the one thing for me that is is a little frustrating yeah fair enough there we go maybe a store will revisit at some point because i think it is quite interesting i think what uses default and as an experiment it might be quite interesting to try just to have default apps for a while and see how you go on yeah like i say for me probably not a big issue it's just for work i need to be in the microsoft world i i think i could mostly get away with it i'd struggle without zoom and slack yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and I would struggle without Teams because I'd have no way to communicate by <laughs> making phone calls, which would be a bit weird. Fair enough. I think you could probably get away with numbers and pages to a, to a certain extent, anyway. The problem you have though with modern 
securities you can't sign in to them so you can't open up a sharepoint site and open it in a non-blessed app and things like that so it would get tricky it's on the web though right you can just share a link yeah but we wouldn't then allow you then have to be authenticated to open the document you're too locked down quite possibly you're too locked in. Moving on, app of the week. And I'm thinking of you particularly with my app of the week. It's called Belena Etcher. If you've got a Raspberry Pi or you want to write a Linux ISO or you want to do something like that to try something out, Belena Etcher just gives you a very Mac-like interface to it. You plug in your flash drive or your SD card. You find the ISO image of the thing you want to download. You go click, 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 and it installs to the SD card or the USB stick. It will make it bootable. And you get off to the races. You can install your alternative Linux. You can install your uh, Raspberry Pi OS or whatever else that you want on there. It's fast, it's clean, it verifies it when it's done. It's a terrific little app. I've used it many, many times. And particularly Macs these days have SD card things built into them. It's terrific. So Belena Etcher is my app of the week. Check it out. Got a thing of the week? Yeah, I was I'm in and about this. And I thought, actually, what app do I use quite frequently? And I just put in Free Trade. So Free Trade is a company that allows you to buy stocks and shares and other things. I don't know if I've talked about it before, but it's actually a really nice app. They've recently modified the website so you can now log in and do it on the web. It used to be an app-only company. And look, don't take any financial advice from me, but this is an app you can you know, transfer some money in. You can use Apple Pay. You can buy stocks and shares. You can receive dividends or interest, and you can obviously sell them. It's just a really nice app. And I thought for something that's quite techy and often apps don't look great when you're trying to trade on the stock exchange, it's just really nicely done, nicely designed. And you have it too. Um, and I use it quite a bit. Um, and I just thought that would be my recommendation. Something a bit different if anybody's keen just to try it out or even just to track stocks and shares and see how they fluctuate. So, uh, yeah, would recommend. Yep, I use it too, only in a very minor way. Pence, basically, here and there. It lets you do that. Do not take fan- financial advice from us, <laughs> would be my advice. Uh, always use a you know a, a sound brain and, and stick to your guns about that kind of stuff. Yeah, good recommendation. So next week, we'll try and do apps of the year and things of the year, eh? Yep, let's hold us to that. I think that'd be a nice thing to do to close out the year and see what we're looking forward to in 24. I think we can call we that. We could do that in the new year. I think we can call that a show. Yep, cheers, Rod. Have a good one. Oh, if anybody wants to get in contact, Rod is at g5maniac at marston.scot. I am at underscore cgp at marston.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. <laughs> <laughs>